Well, we're jumping into uh, our second week into the art of finding joy. Uh, we're taking four months, and we're slowly going through the book of Philippians. It's a book that was written um, by uh, the Apostle Paul, who was probably the church's greatest missionary. He definitely was one of the church's first missionaries. And um, when Paul is writing to the Philippians, you can kind of see that the first 11 verses that were read earlier, that the church actually seems to be alive. It's a, it's a very lively church. It actually, as you read it, it seems like it's a great place to grow spiritually. Um, and, uh, Paul's reporting all these great things. It's, I miss you guys. And, you know, you, I'm filled with joy. And I remember the partnership in the gospel. You guys started out early and it was such a joy for Paul to write to them. And the question is, what was the secret to their joy? It wasn't in, uh, their social status and it wasn't in their strategy. It wasn't like this church had a great strategy. All right. As you read the first 11 verses and as you read the rest of the book of Philippians, you realize that they're, what, what, what the secret sauce to making their church a great place of spiritual discovery was that they were actually all really good friends. It was good friendships in the church. As a matter of fact, Paul and Timothy, who were the co-founders of the church, they were really good friends. And Paul's writing to the leaders and the leaders and the members, they were really good friends. As a matter of fact, scholars say... Those who know, you know, all the kind of intricacies of Greek and, and all of those historical things, they say that the format of Paul's letter is this Greek format, this Hellenistic format called letter of friendship. Paul chose to use this format of writing to the Philippians because he realized that he had valued the friendship that they had so much. Their secret in how their church was such a great place was the fact that they were actually good friends with one another. Now, Paul writes, and he's very upbeat, right? As you read the, uh, the, the words that uh, Michelle just read, um, he's very upbeat. He uses words like joy and love and all these things. But the reality is that Paul's in the season of loneliness because he's actually in prison. He's writing from prison. He was in prison for preaching the gospel, and they sent him to Rome to be on trial. And it's hard to understand how lonely Paul is. It's hard to understand how isolated he is, right? It's hard to relate. And I was trying to think, well, how would I feel if I was Paul? And the best way that I started thinking about it is like, have you ever seen the movie Selma? About uh, Martin Luther King's life, right? And so the best way to understand maybe Paul's loneliness is to look at somebody contemporary, or I guess he's not contemporary because he's with Jesus now. <laughs> um, but to look at somebody who is more uh, uh, you know, familiar to us now. And if you, re- if you watch the movie, if you know Dr. King's life, he was a... a, a terrific civil rights pioneer. And even though he was surrounded by leaders and supporters and and Coretta Scott King, his wife, the reality is that Dr. King's life was filled and plagued with loneliness. And there's a scene. It's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie because he's, he's having to make this really tough decision and he's carrying the weight of the civil rights movement and, and the blacks in America on his shoulder. And he sits in his chair and he picks up his phone. It's one of those like rotary phones. Like, you ever seen those before? Anybody born like, you know, after 1985? Um, so he uses a rotary phone and he calls Mahalia Jackson. Mahalia Jackson's a gospel singer. And he says, Mahalia. Sounds more like Bill Clinton than Martin Luther King. <laughs> he says, Can you sing to me? And so she sings this song. It's one of my favorite songs. She goes, precious Lord, take my hand. And she does all these runs like Christina Aguilera. Uh, Lead me home, help me stand. I am tired, I am weak. 
I am worn. And this is the emotional place that Dr. King was in when he was leading that movement. And this is also the emotional place that the Apostle Paul was when he was writing this letter to the Philippians. He was filled with joy, but he was also in this season of loneliness. And how did Paul keep loneliness from robbing his joy? You don't have to be a leader to experience loneliness. You guys know this, right? For those of us who have struggled with this. As a matter of fact, you can be in a crowded room, in a room like this, and still feel quite lonely. It's common in our city. Um, there's a book called Happy City. It was written by a Canadian author named Charles Montgomery. And he's writing about Canadian cities in particular. And he says this. I think we have a quote up here. Social isolation just may be the greatest environmental hazard of city living. Worse than noise pollution, noise pollution, or even crowding. If we're concerned about happiness, then social disconnection or loneliness in Canadian cities is an acute problem. Agree? Disagree? Those of us who have lived here, you know, all of our lives, maybe those of us who have kind of, you know, you uprooted yourself and you're trying to figure out, you know, what a city living looks like, maybe you can kind of attest to this. And it's not that living in the boonies and the rural people, people aren't lonely there, but in the city you have this concentrated number of people who, you know, according to Canada stats, 52% of them weren't born here. And now you put them all into a city and so there's all these like, you know, social isolation and loneliness that people feel. I get it. I understand a bit of that. I'm, I'm not a loner in the sense that like, you know, I like to be off in the corner, but like I'm the guy who can be in a room like this and kind of be like, I don't know if anybody understands me. Like to the student, I think for most students, and we have a few students in the church here, for most students who have come here to the city, I think loneliness kind of feels like feeling kind of trapped by the pressure of education and having to make it and having to come up with a plan and not having people understand you, right? To the mom, loneliness often is, uh, you know, especially new moms, okay? Uh, uh, loneliness, and give me an amen, sisters back there, because I see you walking around with your babies, or at least Jackson is. <laughs> Exhaustion. Amen? <laughs> Thanks, Wayne. Yeah, exhaustion, right? No margin for real social connections. That's the loneliness a lot of new moms feel. To the single guys, um, loneliness often feels like boredom. It's like all your, all your guys are out, you know, they're flaking on you and they got new things to do, right? Uh, to married people, often loneliness feels like living with a stranger, fighting and nobody talk, nobody to talk to about. To leaders, to those of you who lead organizations or are in a management position, loneliness for you often feels like having to make hard decisions over and over and over again by yourself. Right? Loneliness boils down to this belief that you have to do things on your own. Like I have to, I have to figure this out. Now, here's the thing: you might not feel lonely, especially for us men. A lot of you men, you just don't feel anything. <laughs> All right? So you don't feel lonely. But what's happening is that you manage your life. You ha you have, you're actually really good at managing your life without any real involvement from other people, right? You don't feel lonely, but the reality is you live quite lonely. So if you're in this season, if you're in this season, it's real important that you try to get out of it as soon as possible. Because if you live in this season of loneliness and isolation and doing things by yourself, what happens is this. Is that the things about other people, the envy begins to fester. Every time you look at Instagram and you're like, oh, why are they always on vacation and I'm always working hard, right? That stuff begins to fester. 
right? Loneliness isn't wrong, but what happens is when it festers, it will kill all of your motivation to make an impact, to make a difference, right? Because you're always feeling like better or, you know, or just nothing or self-consumed, right? That wasn't Paul, and that wasn't the Philippian church. Let me ask you a question, all right? Who's coming to your 10-year anniversary? What are you talking about, 10-year anniversary? I'm not going to married, right? Who's coming to your 10-year anniversary? Paul, Paul, when he wrote this in uh, 53 AD to the Philippians, I'm sorry, Paul started the church in 53 AD. When he wrote this letter, it was 10 years later, right? He's writing to the church 10 years after he started the church. And he's actually, what he's actually doing is he's actually celebrating in these first 11 verses. He's saying, man, guys, we had an incredible run. I loved being with you guys. I miss being with you guys. He's celebrating 10 years of doing life together. We did life together and we did it well. I loved being with you guys. We were so on point. We were focused. He loved that, right? He was celebrating the fact that they had 10 years of history together. Who... Ten years from now, who are you going to be celebrating with? Who's going to be on your guest list of like ten years of living like this tremendous life together? And it doesn't mean that you've like you know you're a big shot or anything like that, right? I'm I'm scared to go back to my uh, high school reunion. Did anybody do their high school reunion? What number was it for you? Forty? No, just I'm just kidding, Archie. I'm playing with you. Uh, okay, what year was it? Your two. Okay, I wasn't, I was only half kidding with you, buddy. <laughs> oh, right, right, prodigy, prodigy, right, yeah. For me, um, I, I, started, uh, I started a Facebook group for my, for my class of 1997, uh, and there's about 400 people on it, right? So we do all this interaction and stuff like that. But I, I'll be honest with you, I'm nervous to go back. I'm nervous because, like, I didn't do everything that, like, I was voted that I should have done back in 1997, right? But I often think, who would show up at my anniversary? Who are the people closest to me that love me enough, that I actually invested in, they invested in me, that if I were to do something, that's if we have 10 years of history together. As a pastor, one of the things that actually warms my heart the most, that inspires me the most, is to see a person who's facing struggle and adversity, and they're facing all the difficult things in their lives, and they're in a situation where other people, if they were in that situation, they would give up, they'd tap out. But in, that midst, in the midst of that situation, to see these people still hold on and invest in the relationships that are in front of them, to meet needs for other people when they themselves have needs, that inspires me the most. That inspires me the most, right? It makes me think, yeah, that's how we, that's how, that's how you do friendship, right? So there's one thing, if there's one thing that I want you guys to take away from this morning is this. One thing. That God will give you joy and gratitude tomorrow if you invest in spiritual friendships today. That tomorrow, God will bless you with joy and with gratitude. A 10-year anniversary, Mark. But it requires you to invest in spiritual friendships today. 
And that's what I want to talk about this morning is spiritual friendships. And more specifically, what Paul calls in this passage, gospel partnerships. Right? He writes this in verse 3 to 5. I think we have this up here. He says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul was filled with joy in the midst of a season where he was lonely in prison because of the relationships they had started 10 years ago, he says. The word partnership in the Greek means, uh, is actually koinonia. You've probably heard this at some point or sometime, maybe. Uh, koinonia is typically translated as fellowship or having things in common, sharing things in common. Uh, fellowship is not potluck. If you grew up a good Baptist like some of us did, it's not just having good food in you know, a fellowship hall, right? If you grew up in one of those churches, you had a fellowship hall because that's where they set up the banquet tables and all the food. And that's where like a lot of the big Baptists went to uh, immediately after the service because they ate a lot of food, and, right? And so they had fellowship. But Paul's not talking about that kind of fellowship. It's actually a fellowship that was formed in the Spirit by the Spirit. It's a friendship that was formed there. It's not formed in superficiality. It's not formed around hobbies. It's not formed around ethnicity. It's not formed about how close we live together or how convenient it is to be your friend or your politics or are you a vegan or anything else. It's not formed around those things. It was formed around a spiritual identity that we were in Christ. We're different but we're the same. Uh, we learned this phrase in, uh, in Asia this past uh, summer. We're same, same, but different. <laughs> same, same, but different. Same, same. Okay. Uh, Wesley Hill, uh, he wrote a book called Spiritual Friendship, and this is what he has to say. He says, Christians think differently about friendship because their understanding of friendship is rooted not in rosy accounts of human perfectibility, but in a God who remains ever faithful to us and who never, no matter how egregious our feelings, never writes us out of the story of divine love. If we don't have anything else in common, we have this, that we know in Christ Jesus, God loves us in spite of our sin and imperfection. Paul says, that's how we did life together. It was, that was the thing that had us like in common. Was that no matter what we knew that in Christ, God accepted us in spite of our sin and our imperfection. Ten years later from a jail cell, Paul saying, man, and I loved being with you guys. I really loved being with you guys. He's filled to the brim with joy because of koinonia, spiritual friendship gospel partnership. Some of you guys are saying, I'm not lonely. I'm not the lonely guy, right? I have plenty of friends. You're, you're social butterflies. Uh, you're, you're probably the extroverts of the group, okay? Uh, you have work friends, gym friends. You have neighbor friends, church friends. You have even break the Ten Commandment friends. Uh, but, but if you ignore investing in spiritual friendships, 10 years from now, 10 years from now, you might have one of three regrets, all right? First regret could be this one. I regret having too many friendships and not having enough deep friendships. Right? I knew a lot of people, but I just knew them at a service level. The next regret would be, I regret investing in some friendships that weren't so good for me. Spent a lot of time with that guy. Dang, I wish I didn't do it. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Right? Okay. I, I, 
I'm, I've lost some memory, like some memory cells in my brain because I spent too much time with that guy and that group, right? Regret number three oftentimes is this. The vice versa of that is I regret not investing in the friendships that were good for me. Man, I wish I spent more time with that guy. Man, I wish she, uh, I wish we would have spent more time together when we were still in community together, right? And these are the regrets that oftentimes, if you don't act now, you'll feel 10, 20 years from now, right? The time to start paying attention to spiritual friendships, paying attention to what am I supposed to do, is actually today, like now. This is the time to pay attention to what you're supposed to do. Not until better people come into your life, right? Wesley Hill actually, he he writes in his book that he actually fantasized more about friendships than he did about friends. Because he was thinking there's going to be this perfect person that they're going to come and they're going to affirm me and we're going to hit it off and it's going to be a great friendship. And that person to to date of which he was writing the book hadn't yet come yet. It's this myth that there's a perfect person out there. It's not, a, it's not a romantic myth. It's just like, I think there are people out there just like me that once I find them, then we're going to click. So let me reserve my energy until I find that person. Right? A lot of people think that way. Uh, here's a sobering reality for some of us, and you're going to hate me for saying this, unless you really, really like your friends. Okay? But if you don't, you're going to hate me for saying this. Because the circle of friends that you have today as adults are probably as good as it's going to get. Some of you guys are, oh, that's good. Okay, I like my friends. Other years of you are depressed because <laughs> you were waiting for the better friend to come along. Right? But if you keep waiting for the right person to come along who deserves all of you, like if John Legend is like, oh, you know, all of you, right? If, that was, if you're waiting for that song moment to happen, you may be fooling yourself. Ten years from now, you won't have anything to write about. There's no koinonia to write about if you keep waiting for that to happen. Adults don't have yearbooks, by the way. So these moments that you're sharing right now, you're not going to look back. Maybe Facebook. I take that back. Adults do have yearbooks, all right? Facebook reminds me every other day that remember this memory from two years ago, right? <laughs> okay. So scratch that. I'll modify that in my notes. Um, but the weird thing that we do in our yearbook where you go back and you look at stuff and, and you're like, I remember that, right? If you don't invest now, 10 years from now, no stories to tell. Some of us are too cool for school, right? And uh, Christian friends are weird, right? Melanie, uh, <laughs> I didn't even look at her. We, we just have this understanding. Uh, <laughs> then there are those who tell themselves that they're protecting themselves from getting hurt, right? All these views are warped views of friendship. It's warped. Because with all of these views, you're saying that a friend always has to support you and never hurt you. And that's only something that God can do. You can't expect a friend to do what only God can do in your life. That's gospel partnership. Um, for the last 12 to 15 years of uh, our lives, Lynn and I, we've always hosted uh, life groups, small groups, body life groups in our home for the last 12 to 15 years, uh, almost on a weekly basis, right? Um, and so we've dealt with every kind of conflict that a small group can have. Seriously, we have. Like, you couldn't name one that we didn't deal with, okay? Um, and so, uh, but what hurts us the most is when people that you love and people that you've been pouring into for years and years, and they're bent on throwing their life away. 
And so we had one particular case where there's this couple and one of the spouses in that relationship, that's what, that's what they were doing. They were just bent on throwing their marriage away. So we spent a lot of time working with them and counseling them and spending some time working through some struggles. And at the end of the day, the spouse came out and, 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 and said that like, uh, there was uh, infidelity involved and eventually they got divorced, right? And so it was, it was very hurtful. It's very hurtful. Uh, and the more the truth came out, the more kind of like the, the drama just unfolded. So they eventually divorced. And a couple of years ago, we received a letter from the, the person who had uh, the affair. And they had a come to Jesus moment. You guys ever heard, you know what a come to Jesus moment is? Right? They came to grips with kind of what they did in their life. And, and they were very apologetic. They were very apologetic that they didn't reach out when Lynn and I were reaching out to them. As a matter of fact, they were filled with regret. It was a letter of regret. This person finally realized that by taking friendships lightly, it caused collateral damage. By just taking friendships, it's just way too lightly, being too nonchalant with it, that eventually it caused hurt. Because when friends reach out and you don't reach back, there's a sense of, I mean, you're patient and you're forgiving. It doesn't mean that you don't practice those things. There's collateral damage. There's, There's hurt involved. Look 10 years into the future. Just think. Some of you are 33. Some of you will be 43. Archie's going to be 50. No, I'm, just, I'm just playing with you, Archie. Uh, uh, it may be an awesome future, or it may just be like pretty normal, right? But it's for certain that if there's any joy in your life 10 years from now, it's because you invested in relationships. And you had a lot of fun along the way. Those are the stories that you're going to tell. 10 years from now. That's what Paul's writing about in Philippians. God will give you joy and gratitude if you invest in spiritual friendships today. So why invest? Well, because it's through friendships that God's shaping you for His purpose. Friendships is the context in which God is shaping your lives for His purpose. Paul writes in uh, verse 6 through 7, he says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers. There's the word again, uh, koinonia, partakers with me of grace. Paul said, I feel so great about you, church. I love you so much. I believe in you. God is doing something so good in you. And one day when Jesus comes back, every gift, every struggle, every heartache is going to prove itself to turn out to be good. I believe God's doing this work inside of you guys. He's saying, we have partaken in grace together. We fellowshiped. We, we had spiritual friendship through grace. And I believe that that grace is going to bring us to the day when we look back and say, God did some amazing things in our life. It's grace, Paul says. It's grace that God gives us this. God doesn't force you. God's not trying to force you to become like somebody else in community. This is not a cult when you belong to a community. You're not, you don't have to be like me. I'm not that cool. It, it, I hate shaving my head, right? Uh, it's, it's so, we're not, you're not being forced to be like anybody. But when you join a community, God uses that as the context in which he's shaping you for his purpose. Um, it's called, he does it through grace. He doesn't force you. 
And here's the thing about, here's the thing about community, because um, sometimes we look to community as if like it's the end all, right? Like that's, if these people don't help me, then I'm going to die. And it's usually not that the community can solve your problems. And uh, to be honest with you, sometimes community can't solve your problems and you can't expect community to solve your problems, right? As a matter of fact, if you're going through adversity right now, if you're going through struggles right now, community doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to understand what God is doing in your life. But the function of spiritual friendships in real communities is this. Oftentimes, it's the spiritual friendships that help you to persevere to the day when you do understand what God is doing. Koinonia keeps you on track. Does that make sense? It keeps you in track on the pur- for the purposes that God is shaping you for. Gospel partnership. I know Easter's not here yet, but I'm already, th- I'm already thinking about May. Because we're doing something cool in May. Uh, we're doing a, a mental health awareness month uh, um, series in May. It's going to continue on in this. And something that we're doing that's going to be fun is Matt Lilly is actually helping to, to write a 31 uh, devotion uh, note for our church. And he came, up with, he came up with this incredible idea, Matt, where he said, hey, why don't we take stories from our church of people who struggle with mental health, and why don't we share those stories in the devotion? Because there are many of you guys who struggle with mental health, whether it's anxiety or whatever it is, but you you, you find this you get this, this hope and this confidence inside of you. And we thought, hey, man, that'd be a fantastic way to use what t- typically people think is a struggle or a stigma, and to use it to minister back to the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, that could even be an evangelism tool for a lot of us. We can share with people um, uh, about you know how community and God help. Uh, helps you to to deal with mental health issues. Another thing that I'm really excited about, and we're continuing to mode and talk about this, is like how do we work with with um, Minsu? Are you here? Ah, uh, there you go, Minsu and Deepwaters. Minsu will be preaching in a couple of weeks. Excited for that, bro. Um, and so, what does it look like for TLC to continue to grow as a church, sensitive and intentional about building biblical community for those that are same sex attracted? What does that look like for us? Right. I'm reading through this book, Spiritual Friendship. Highly recommended. Um, just, uh, I, don't, I don't agree with everything that Wesley Hill writes, but I think he's on track for a lot of issues. He self-identifies as uh, gay and, and chooses celibacy as his lifestyle. And in his journey, he's trying to make sense of his orientation, but at the same time, his embrace of uh, traditional relationships. And he proposes this idea that spiritual friendships is actually the context in which he and others are helping the church to understand men and men should have real deep relationships and not fear homoeroticism, right? And so the reality is that for most of us men, we're good at being bros. But bros just doesn't mean we're just hanging out, right? Um, bros, just, and that's, we got to do that. Like, you got to, you got to, you got to do, you got to do that stuff. You got to, you know, our, our men's ministry, you got to play basketball. You got to, you know, you got to, we got to hang out. That's where you do a lot of the social things. But the reality is that very few of us know how to build heart-to-heart connections. Even the, the phrase heart-to-heart connection among men, doesn't that make you feel a little bit like, a little bit weird, weirded out? No? Well, we have very sensitive men in our church. Good for you guys. But Hill makes this point that what if, what if who I am is actually helping to mine the depths of male-to-male relationships that we've lost in our culture? Wow, that's purpose. 
you can call it brokenness, you can call it good, you, you can call it sinful, whatever it is, whatever it is about that, when completely submitted to God, when it's completely submitted to God, God can use that to bless the body. This is, these are his words. He says, my question at root is how can I steward and sanctify my homosexual orientation in such a way that it can be a doorway of blessing and grace? God, use me in our body to be a blessing for others. Man. 10%, speak to us men for about two minutes, 10% of us men know how to do relationships well. That's probably the honest truth. 90% of us, I put myself in that category, we struggle. Mike is always asking me, hey, you need to let me know these things. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. It's a struggle for us. I get it. Paul, Paul was a part of the 10%. He was a part of the 10%. He was uh, manly, yet he was also tender. He was honest. He wasn't soft, but he was secure. Uh, by no means, you know, do I think that Paul was gay or anything like that. But if you look at his singleness and you look at his celibacy and you look at the fact that he had some terrific relationships with Timothy and Silas, Paul had something to teach us about the lost art of male friendship. There's something about Paul that he contributed to the church in his singleness and in his celibacy that we wouldn't know, we couldn't discover it right now, of what it means to be a brother in Christ with another brother and feel that that connection, that David and Jonathan connection that you read about in the Old Testament. If Paul didn't live that life for us, we wouldn't. it would be hard for us to have examples of it. God's doing that with some of you. Spiritual friendships is the context in which you get to do that more. Right. God will complete his work in us, man. He will give us joy and gratitude if we invest in spiritual friendships today. Um, what keeps us from spiritual friendships? What, what is it that it actually kind of keeps us from like, you know, going that extra mile and, and doing the, the first kind of like, you know, first like, you know, the pickup line, I guess. I mean, what would you call it? Like the breaking the ice between like getting relationships to be better. A uh, pickup line sounds really bad, but uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, how do you broach the topic of, hey, I want to be better friends with you, all right? I know that's hard to say, right? Paul says in verse 9, there's a freedom in Paul. Remember what I said, he was soft, but yet he was secure. There's a freedom in Paul. Uh, we see this in verse uh, 89. Paul says this, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. First of all, who says those kinds of things, right? Curtis, I yearn for you with affection, <laughs> All right, who's, yeah, courtesy right on. He's a part of the 90%. Uh, <laughs> it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Like, who, what guy, who says that? Even girls, like, who says that? With knowledge and all discernment. There's a freedom in Paul, right? Yeah. 99% of us want this level of friendship and freedom and the ability to express ourselves. This is how it happens in church, all right? And if you didn't grow up in church, let me give you some insight as to how weird some church cultures are, all right? Um, so people come to ch- you come to church, and you're like, I really want to make some friends. And then I come to church, and I say, I really want to make some friends. And we stare at each other, and we both want to be friends, but we don't know how to broach it. And so we leave church, and we say, that church was cold. There's no community in that church, all right? 
uh, and the reality is not that, not that you're socially awkward, because I've been with some of you guys, and some are, but most of you guys are pretty okay people, but it's not that you're socially awkward, it's just, it's a simple fact, it's that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. And so when you put two sinners in a room together, you can't expect fireworks to fly. You can, but not the fireworks that God had intended for them to fly, right? The problem is that we fear rejection. The honest truth, right? Is you, you, you like, I, I do this from time to time. Like I, I try to do the thing where I try to step over the line and I share a little bit of my life with somebody and it's very vulnerable. Like, hey man, this is what I'm struggling with. Here you go. And they kind of look at it and like, whoa, slide it back too much. TMI, not ready for that level of a bro, bro, bro to bro relationship, right? Or ladies, maybe you're sharing your heart and your, all your problems and the things that you're struggling with and you're crying, you're weeping and, and, and the other person just kind of comes off cold. And, and so that, that keeps you from wanting to build into relationships or taking initiative. And you say, oh, it's because I'm introverted in nature and that's why I don't, right? And I, we get all that stuff. But the reality is that we're afraid of rejection. That's the barrier, right? And that's why Paul says it's not built around affinity or experience. It's built around the gospel. When relationships are built around the gospel, this is what happens. You don't have to fear rejection if you know that in Christ you're fully accepted by God. So if man rejects you, who cares? I can pursue this relationship. If they think I'm weird, who cares? God accepts me. That's a gospel koinonia. That's making Christ your common ground. All right? Uh, those who think that it's weird for adults to get together and say, hey, become good friends in Jesus, uh, that's because our idea of friendship is primarily oriented around that we have to like the same things and we have to look similar or be from the same cultural background. That's not a gospel friendship. And I'm not saying that's not a good or a bad friendship, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Right? He's saying that there is a relationship in which at the end of the day, that if it wasn't Jesus himself that brought you together, it would never make sense that you guys would hang out. It would never make sense. Right? Paul actually says this in uh, another, um, another passage in Scripture. He says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. If it wasn't for Christ, this group would never, ever have come together. That's what Paul's saying. The gospel gets rid of any shame or any uncomfortable feelings that you have because you're different from somebody else, right? The pattern of the gospel, uh, of gospel friendship, of spiritual friendship, has always been different people being united together by the cross of Jesus. That's when Paul says love abounds more. It's indifference. It's not in homogenous relationships, right? And so if you yearn for a friendship in Christ Jesus, you'll have friends that you thought you'd never have before. So if you grew up in an Indian house and you're very Indian, uh, and I looked at Saf, who's Sri Lankan, and I said to Indian, uh, sorry, Bo, uh, Sri Lankans are like the Canadians of, oh, okay, that was another, that was even a worse joke than the other, okay. All right, all the brown people are going to stone me later. But the reality is, you're in a, 
for those of us who, you know, you grew up here in this ethnic culture, you eat certain foods in here, and from, you know, and so unless you're like really, really like, you know, you're denying your culture, like very few of us would actually be in a context that's multicultural and diverse if it wasn't for, for Jesus. Right? And I'm not just saying socially like you work at Starbucks together. I'm talking about people in your homes crying on your shoulder, sharing their problems with you. For most of us, the only opportunity for that to ever happen is the fact that you're in Jesus. You're in a gospel partnership with one another. Um, Philippians, by the way, was written to a church that was started by a successful businesswoman, a mentally ill slave girl, and a blue-collared prison guard. That was the first church in Europe. And Jesus brought them together. Um, I want to end with uh, some practicals uh, for us. Um, probably for you cool people, this is borderline cheesy, but that's okay. Because uh, I figure it's better for you to have practicals than uh, to give you a cool ending. Um, but I thought through this, actually, and I threw some of these ideas, um, uh, you know, uh, it kind of processed some of these ideas with people. I'm going to give you some well-thought-out things to do as a church over the next year. Just consider doing, you know, uh, some of these things. And as we grow, and our church is going to grow, but as we grow, I want you to remember this, that 10 years from now, the culture of what we're doing today will set the culture for what it will be 10 years from now. Just think about that. Have a little bit of vision, guys. That the culture that you're building today will actually dictate what the church is going to be like in 10 years. And so let me um, walk you through five levels of investing in spiritual friendship in order of levels of complexity. All right? Because some of you guys are down here, some of you guys will be up here. All right. And so here's my level zero. I said five, but there's actually six because level zero is pretty much like the easiest. Okay. So level zero is shake someone's hand, introduce yourself, say hi to them four weeks in a row. All right. <laughs> so some of you guys are like, okay, all right. Oh, oh, four weeks in a row. I thought it was just, I thought you just do it the first time. No, when you meet somebody for the first time, it doesn't mean that you have become best friends yet. All right. And so continue to say hi to them and the next week and the next week and invite them into your home. I mean, this is, this is level zero, right? This is, this is basic, basic stuff. All right. Let's get to the harder stuff. Level, level one. Okay. This is like remedial. Um, oh no, this is, Slightly advanced. Host meals regularly at your place, depending on what your place, uh, the size of your place. Host meals regularly at your place for one another and for strangers. Take communion together. Take communion at your spaghetti meals. And say, this, this meeting right here is a church meeting as well. Like, this means something. This is, if you do this with those that are seeking Jesus and who, who haven't yet like given their lives to Jesus and they witness you take communion together, you, you know what that communicates to them? There's questions at least that are going to come up, right? And so, uh, level two, taking it up a notch. All right. Some of us are in this place. Take a spiritual retreat together. All right. If that sounds too formal, just vacation together. All right. And pray when you're on vacation. All right. Go to Montreal. New York City, BC, if you go to Banff, invite me. Uh, but do something like that together, right? Retreat together. Uh, our BLG is in the, in the process of trying to figure out when we can take a spiritual retreat together. All right. Um, and so we're level two. All right, Leslieville. We're level two. I'm getting there. Okay. Uh, level three. Man, I love this one. And I was thinking about this one long and hard. 
make someone in our church or in your spiritual friendship group godparent of your child. Some of you guys, you haven't even found your spouse yet. That's okay. You have some time to think. Start investing in those relationships. Right? But those, some of you guys who had your children in this church, and I'm not saying, look, I'm not trying to force anybody to do anything. Uh, but I'm just saying, as you build relationships, would you consider, ask Linda, who would be Abraham's godparent in our church? Because I wouldn't want an American. He's, he's Canadian. Let's find a Canadian in our church. And we came up with a couple of ideas, and um, you'd be shocked who was on there. <laughs> Um, and so we're thinking, yeah, man, because that would, wow, that's, that's level three. <laughs> that's level three kind of stuff. Let them have the privilege, privilege of praying and supporting your child in faith. Man, if somebody were saying, hey, Abraham, I want to pray for him. I want to give him money. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I want to I wanna be a part of his life, not just right now, but, you know, along his journey for the rest of his life. Man, what a, what a huge, like, what a huge, like, compliment it would be. For us, level four. All right, this is the hard one: is allowing someone to lovingly correct you, and still like stay in community, but then also being bold enough to lovingly correct someone else. And this is the harder one. This is the harder one because it means that like I, my feelings are probably going to get hurt, but my feelings don't supersede the fact that we're doing something together. Does that make sense? And so I'm not going to let my feelings get in the way of what the shaping of what God is doing in our community. You know, when you shape clay, it's hard to shape clay without putting a dent in it. And as God's shaping you, it's hard for God to shape you without putting a dent in you. And so this is the denting process. Right? It's allow that process to happen to you and be courageous and discerning enough to begin to do that in other people's lives. Right? And then the, the top level is, is, is the fifth level. It's, it's, it's what Paul's writing to the Philippians about. This is the catalyst for the letter to the Philippian church because they had level five relationship as they were on mission together. And the ultimate reason why gospel partnership trumps any other kind of friendship is our spiritual friendship is an extension of God inviting others into his family. Jesus says himself, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I've loved you. They will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. This is the evidence to a non-believing world that you guys are the real deal, that you are an extension of the Trinitarian God. It's because you actually love being around each other. You sacrifice for each other. You did exactly what Jesus did for the church. That's the proof to an unbelieving world that God is real. The only way to escape um, spiritual loneliness and the performance trap of being a part of a social clique, because that's all it is, is once you're a part of a clique, it's, like, it's a performance trap. You have to keep up this facade, right? The only way out of those two things, loneliness and performance of being a clique, is partnerships with friends that will accept you in Christ, no matter where you're at. But they love you too much to have you stay there. And that's the way, that's the way out of loneliness, that's the way out of social cliques. It's to find friends and build friends that will love you in Christ wherever you are, but they love you too much to keep you there. That's gospel partnership. And that's how Jesus treated us when he died on the cross. He took you just the way that you are. He says, you don't have to change X, Y, and Z. You don't have to behave this way or that way. You just come to me the way that you are. But hey, know this, that when you come to me, Jesus says, that I, I can't keep you the same way. I love you too much to keep you in this I want to see you transform. I want to see you change. And for many of us, 
that God is speaking that message to you this morning, even right now. That in Christ Jesus, that you are fully loved and accepted. You don't ever have to be worried about being rejected if you're in Christ. God loves you too much to keep you in your condition. That He wants to transform you. And by and large, most people find out that it's in the context of spiritual friendships that that shaping, that molding begins to happen. And I pray that God would do that with us. I pray that 10 years from now, that we would have koinonia type letters to write about that come out of Trinity Life. Some of you guys won't be here 10 years from now. Some of you guys won't be here 10 months from now. But I still pray that in the time being, that in the time being that you're a part of this community, then you invest in spiritual friendships because that will guarantee a return 10 years from now. You'll look back and you say, man, I remember we were part of this church in downtown Toronto and I was going to university or you know, I had just got a new job and it was a short stint. It was only two or three years, but man, amazing things happened. But it can't happen if you yourself don't invest in it.